You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. Hey everyone, welcome back to Faith and Other Oddities. Uh, back in the studio with Emily, of course. Um, Who yeah. else? Uh, you know, we've had other people in here, but you're usually here too. Yeah, it's so, better when I'm here. I, I like it. So, <laughs> um, Especially when we're studying the Bible, because you are a research animal, basically. Oh my goodness, yes. And I mean, this is like my, I, I can own that because this is like my mind candy. And yeah. I, I love this stuff too. And I, I, I mean, you, you have the luxury of, uh, you know, I'm not, no insult here, but you have the luxury of being a stay at home, uh, yeah. non-mom. Well, stay at home mom with grown children, I guess. Yeah. Well, and you know, that, that is the thing I, I get to stay at home and do this and having the podcast gives me the excuse to basically tell people to go away and leave me alone. Cause I've got to get this done. <laughs> and I, I understand that it's like no and, and right now I'm, I'm a working dad with two young ones so i i get i get to read basically i get to read the text that we're going through right and then uh have it forced out of my brain by three and five year old problems well and you know when you're really trying to do some deep research you've got to have those blocks of times to to really dig in and study and it, this week's passage is a great example of that because good grief it, it's there is so much written about Deborah, but everybody wants to focus on the gender roles. Mm -hmm. And so instead of getting into the theology of the text, we, we get bogged down in things that I think are kind of superfluous. And mm -hmm. I, I mean, it, don't get me wrong. That's an important conversation to have, but trying to get to actually what she wrote, not just who she was, mm -hmm. that, that was I had to go all around Katie's barn to get to where I was going. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to guess because of like what we talked about through the week as you were prepping, um, we're not going to cover much of the gender stuff from now on. So like, I feel like we covered that pretty well in the last two right. episodes. Yeah. I do think when we do a wrap up, we probably need to go back because a lot of people do use this to, uh, or judges five, four and five to talk about women leadership in the church. Right. And so I think that might be a good topic for a wrap up to, to kind of dig into that. Mm. But I want to lay it aside. I want to focus on what's really in the Bible. Right. And that's because this is dense. And uh, just to give an idea, normally I write 25, 30 pages of notes for a chapter. Mm -hmm. I wrote 65 pages of notes for this chapter. So be prepared. This is going to be at least a two-parter, probably a three-parter, maybe more, depending how many rabbit trails we chase. Sure. And well, uh, well, well, we'll try to stay focused, but we'll also try not to just blow yeah. through notes in a dry way, like right? We, like we try to do here. And so, you know, hang on for the ride. But I, th I think it's worth it, and I think there's some things that uh, are going to be really good. Because here's what's basically going to happen: is I'm going to give you bits and pieces to a puzzle. And at the very end, they're going to all snap into place. And mm -hmm. so you, you're going to have to have all the pieces to put in place. But sometimes getting the pieces might seem a little laborious. Yeah. But the, it's worth it. it. It's so worth it. I got so excited by the time I got to the end of this because I haven't seen anybody else draw these conclusions from this information. They, they may be out there, 
but because they aren't dealing with this text specifically, um, they, I don't see it written in response to Judges 5. Right. So let's talk about a few of the problems that we got, because we do have some problems. Um, and when you're studying a Bible passage, acknowledge the problems. I mean, don't, don't act like it's just all wonderful and good. You, I think you've got to be honest. Well, I, I think the, the, the first problem we're going to see, and we talked about this too, is, is translation. Yeah. Because, um, like you were telling me, like th- this is the oldest, one of the oldest, one of the oldest texts we have. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, which is kind of funny to me that it's one of the oldest and it's, we're never, I'm, I never heard that until we started studying judges going through this study. Of right. It. You know, I, w- of course I was always told that Job was the oldest, which, um, is which no- has <laughs> apparently been, de- uh, debunked yeah. like they're they're thinking they're no longer thinking it's the oldest but that's that's yeah. for another day and another time but but you were talking about translation because of the oldest it uses words that are that have gone out of style or can mm-hmm. be done a couple different ways and actually i was you know i've read this i read through this in the jewish the jps uh, mm-hmm. jewish publication society and the, the esv and first line of the song totally are, different <laughs> i mean totally different and and so uh, i think well of course the esv i think probably tries to clean up the idiom for a modern reader. Right. Um, because, I mean, this, I mean, it, it starts out with, uh, when the locks go untrimmed in Israel. Okay, that's JPS. Uh-huh. And the, the ESV is, that the leaders took lead in Israel and the people offered themselves willingly. So, <laughs> I mean, it's totally different completely uh, the first line is i don't understand i i'm not a linguist right i'm not i'm not a translator so i don't understand really how you get there but i do have one question i want to kick this off the locks go untrimmed was she is that a reference to like four locks or what is that that's a really good question and most because <laughs> <laughs> no, i did i spent some time on this because this is a really good passage to illustrate um how languages evolve and also to illustrate how languages use cognates. Now a cognate, I think we mentioned this on a previous episode. Mm-hmm. It, it's a word from one language that shares a root and origin with a word from another language. Mm-hmm. And so this, this has become a huge point of debate mm-hmm. and I'm going to muddy the waters even more because there's a third translation that I actually like better than either one of these. Okay. And so, okay. well, uh, um, before we get too far yeah. along in the cognate, uh, just like we we use in the past, we use dormant and dorme from French. Mm-hmm. You know, those share roots. So just kind of uh, as a quick illustration, just right. in case anybody hasn't listened to the previous episode, I want to yeah, cause make you, sure that's clear that a lot of they times, have a similar because of that they have a similar meaning in both languages. Yes, but slightly different. And if you're familiar with you know your language and how it works, and you hear another word in a different language like that. Dorme, mm-hmm. you would make that connection. Right. And so it, it's not a big leap for anyone. And then when you think about in Semitic languages, which all come from the same family of languages, mm-hmm. then the cognates are very close. And that's where all of this starts to become, become kind of confusing. Right. So, um, and before we go too far into that first line, it, the other thing we got to recognize this is poetry. Sure. Poetry is not it, it stretches the limits of language yeah i mean we even see that today oh yeah and there was there was a when you said that last night there was a poem i thought of that had um just a whole bunch of like well i actually kind of see this in shakespeare a lot 
where he uses a, a phrase that has two meanings um, for humor or or to get you thinking mm-hmm. about what it is. Uh, well, and how many new words did he come up with on his own? Because yeah. the way he he manipulated the human language or the English language, and and that's the the fun thing of poetry is you can do that. There's also this um, expectation that your audience knows what you're talking about, and we have to recognize we're not Deborah's original audience, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we have to kind of filter through that. And then we can, I mean, we aren't going to go there today, but we talked about in the past that covenant of symbols. It's very very important in in poetry, and we don't have that with Deborah, right? So. Right that's something we have to pick apart. And um, the the thing to remember is though the individual words might have some, some debate over them, the themes remain intact. The right. message is still there. There's, there's enough meaning kept in the language. We don't have to worry about, Oh, well, can we even understand it? We can understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is, like you said, that, like that first, opening uh line well actually the first opening line is on that day deborah and son and barack son of abinoan abinoan on that day oh sorry i'm trying to say this like all together then saying deborah and barack son of abinoan on that day uh deborah you notice no what translation that's the esv okay okay so that the reason why i'm bringing that up notice that barack sings he sings there with her. Deborah doesn't have a male qualifier. Barack does. So uh, when we're talking about elevation and status and uh, who's important in here, Deborah is definitely the lead person in the song. She's the one singing the text support this. So um, we also need to remember she's a prophet. And as we go through this, she's going to be using prophetic language. Poetry is prophetic language. This also uh, echoes Exodus 15.1. Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah, almost the exact same language. The fact that it says on that day means that it's been spoken at the time of Deborah. Deborah said these words. Right. So I want to reaffirm that, that this is not something that was written later. The Bible attests to the fact that it is... um, It is her words, and it was... It is that old. Right. now, now, what I was going to ask is, which translation is it that you like? Is it your own, or is it, or is it a translation that's out there? Okay, not my own. Okay. Uh, I don't think you're going to find it in any um, any translation that you're going to go to the bookstore and buy. Okay. I, I've looked for it. It is um, based on, and I'm looking for his name here because, oh, Thomas F. McDaniel, Ph.D. Professor Emeritus of Old Testament Studies at Palmer Theological uh, Seminary. Okay, so he's, he's got some credentials behind him. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the, the translations that are out there, just three, the, uh, the ESV, the leaders took lead in Israel. Uh, the art scroll that I've been pulling from uh, says when vengeance, are, uh, the, when the vengeances are inflicted upon Israel and the people dedicate itself to God, bless Hashem. So totally different. Yeah, well, and then, yeah, well, similar to that, the KJV is praise ye the Lord for avenging, Isra- for avenging of Israel when the people o- willingly offered themselves. Right. So that's kind of similar. Uh, the NIV is when the princes take lead. Um, mm-hmm. The international standards, when the hair grows long. The JPS, when the men let their hair grow in Israel. So 
you've got all of this all over the place the septuagint when the princes rule in israel um now webb he he defends the the reference to hair whether the locks being free or long uh and he he said that it's an allusion to samson okay now he he also draws some similarities to um and connections with the nazarites as a whole and oh, yeah, that this yeah. would be a devotion to God, a symbol of their devotion to God. The problem is Samson wasn't all that devoted to God. Right. And the people themselves were devoted to God, which is kind of the whole point of Judges. And so I think that translation kind of flies in the face. Um, the problem with this is we have this word, uh, it's para. Uh, it, it's only in the Bible twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, once is here in Judges. The other one's in Deuteronomy 32, 42. So we have this nice little connection with Deuteronomy 32. And if you want to keep a scorecard, you're going to find that <laughs> you can rack up a lot of points the, the on drinking connections. drinking game, right? Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> we do not endorse drinking games. No. Uh, so Deuteronomy 32, 42 says, I will make my arrows drunk with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh. With the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired heads of the enemy. So if it's for people who are devoted to God, we have a problem. Why are they killing people devoted to God? Or are the enemies devoted to God and they're still killing? It, 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 it doesn't work. Well, I, I, yeah. Well, I mean, do you, do you get into the uh, vessels devoted to destruction or devoted to wrath? I mean... Yeah. Well, and I think that's what you have to do to make it work. You have to start doing those those kind of gymnastics. Yeah, asking these questions. Well, I I kind of wonder if it's a if it's a. I personally was thinking it might be a reference to Leviticus nineteen twenty seven of not cutting your forelocks of when people are following God's law, and if you're following God's law, what are you going to be doing if you're Right. If you're an Orthodox, well, they're not really Orthodox at this point. At this that's point, yeah. that's an anachronistic. Uh, but uh, you know what I'm saying. Like right. if, if you're if you're devoting yourself, you then you're not cutting your forelock. So it's showing that hey, we're we're following what what we were told in Leviticus. Yeah, and and but again, in Judges, nobody's doing that. I mean, well, I, the whole book is about how messed up they are as a people. Well, I mean, yes, it is. It's about how messed up they are, but it's also, you know, we have people who are raised up as judges and the people do follow them for a time to to mm-hmm. to save Israel, you know, because you have these people going, "No, this is what we need to do in order to be delivered from our oppression." And so then would people then follow in? Right. So uh, yeah, and we then don't you, know. <laughs> you got the chicken and the egg equation that comes in there. And, you know, which, which came first for the people devoting themselves to God and then Deborah was raised up or was... Re- it, it begins to, to really create these problems in the timeline, in the context. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so the, now going back to that cognate... Uh, well, basically what people have said, what translators have done in the past, they said this is an Arabic cognate. Uh, there's several reference to, references to it from Arabic literature around that time and after. And the, the typical definition is leader or long-haired, or it also means to let alone and go and let go. So, yeah. Um, but if you, you rule out... You can you can rule out the long haired because 
when Arabic warriors fought, the first thing they did was shave their head. So it, it doesn't make sense that this would be used. You can as, rule out the long-haired enemies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that just doesn't, that doesn't work. Well, McDaniel. Well, I, I do. I mean, I do have another <laughs> question about that. I mean, they, and I'm just speculating here. You probably have, I, I should probably just let you go with this, <laughs> but it's like, would it, would it be that, you know, the, the oppression is so complete that they don't like the, 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 uh, the Arabic warriors don't actually feel like, like it's actually much of a fight. Like they need to. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, well, and, and I probably not because of where we're going, but okay. you know, but this is no, but these are the ways you work through a passage when you're trying to translate, particularly when it's a, when it's a tough passage and when it's a, when it's one that raises so many questions, right? You just throw everything at the wall and you see what sticks and you kind of, uh, you do this process of ruling out. How, why does this one not make sense? Why does this one fit better? But Daniel's, yeah. <laughs> Daniel's cites um, P.D. Miller. Uh, P.D. Miller is a professor, Old Testament emeritus at Princeton. And he's the former president of the Society of Biblical Literature. Okay. Okay. Good chops there. No slouch. Yeah. He says that's not an Arabic cognate. He says it is an Egyptian cognate. Okay. And he cites uh, Papyrus Anastasi uh, 2823. It says, I know how to hold the reins more skillfully, skillfully than thou. There is no para hero champion is how it's used there. Okay. Who is my equal? So in wait, that's his translation of that. No, this is from an Egyptian. Oh, okay. So it's the same word. Gotcha. It's okay. it's a play on the word Pharaoh. Okay. And uh, yeah, pa para yeah. Uh -huh. Pharaoh. Okay. So he's saying in in the Egyptian we have the same word, same lettering, everything that 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 makes it work. Uh, Pierre Baudrillard. I'm probably butchering that word because uh, okay. it's French, and I don't do French. I barely speak English some days. Well, if, if they would just pronounce the, all the letters that right? were there, it would be much easier. <laughs> so he literally wrote the book on Ugaritic. Um, by the way, Ugaritic, I've referenced it before, it's the language of the Amorites. Right. So um, this is a cuneiform uh, alphabet. Now, now in Ugaritic, uh, was, it wasn't, it, it's actually kind of more recently discovered language, isn't it? Yeah, it's a newer language that we're really well, getting into. It's an older language, yeah. <laughs> but it's but it's just recently discovered a lot of documents that have allowed us to see what the culture was like surrounding Israel at the Precisely. time. Precisely, we're still learning this, yeah. and we're still we, picking through. Yeah, which is why many of us have not heard about this stuff until now. Because I mean, I, I mean, how, I mean, we talked about this in the first episode, like how long it takes stuff to get out of the academy to the pulpit is is oh, amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and the, the thing is what's going on right now, uh, he we have a lot of information that's kind of leaking out of the academy, just little bits without a whole lot of context. Mm -hmm. And so we have. Uh, I'm going to affectionately call them the wing nuts on the Internet <laughs> uh, who, uh, you know, they'll take a little slice of this and run mm -hmm. without the context. And this is the reason why we have to be careful. And this is why I always try to give who the sources are. Right. Because, um, especially when it's something this controversial or this mm -hmm. new. So, you know, we've already had two really good sources on this, this translation. Um, Pierre, that's all well, I'm going to refer to him as. Well, well, I was, I was going to say this real quick. You're talking about the, the wing nuts, you know, and, and most of the people who are doing this are, are the same guys who want to say the Bible's plagiarized, um, mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, 
uh, the zeitgeist type stuff. Yeah. And yeah. they want to they talk about how if there's anything that the Bible repurposes, then, um, you know, then... Now we can't trust the Bible. Now we can't trust the Bible. Um, but where if you look at it as the Bible being polemic the, uh, towards these other uh, cultures, then it makes a lot more sense. And, and Heiser has a... And I've referenced this before on the show, but uh, he works on, I think it's some, is it 82? Uh, I can't remember which one. Or, well, he does a lot of work with Psalm eighty-two, but I think it's a different one you're referring but to. The, he he go he has a he has a two, he has an episode where he goes through a couple of psalms that repurpose some of the bail cycle material, mm-hmm. and I can't remember remember the numbers off the top of my head. We'll put that in the show notes. Fantastic if you want a good treatment of of how to shut people down. Uh, <laughs> well, who want to who want to go with that whole Bible the Bible the Bible's plagiarized. Well, and I think the other side too is not only do we have the wing nuts who want to shut it down, we have the Christians who want to take it too far. And so that's, I mean, it's the two sides of the same coin. Or, 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 well, yeah. And then there's the third side of that is the Christians who want to say, oh, those lying academics. Right. <laughs> right. Which is, which drives me even more insane than both of those other sides of the coin, those other two. Because you do not devote literally decades of your life to studying dead languages without it being something you adore and are passionate about doing mm-hmm. correctly. I mean, and as I was getting ready to say, Pierre, he spent 30 years excavating in Syria. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, he is the professor at the Institute of Semitic Studies in the College de France. So I'm sure. Yeah. yeah it, it, well, it, it, yeah, <laughs> I, it, that's it's not something you just wake up one day and go, I'm going to bring forth this crazy theory about some tablet that somebody else found and I haven't even had a chance to look at. Or I know two words from it. Yeah. Yay, look at me. I'm yeah. so smart. <laughs> yeah. So, I, yeah, I, I definitely, th- th- that frustrates me because we, it is, and again, you, you'll hear me harp on this a lot. <laughs> just people don't, we, we don't appreciate our scholars enough mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. or we appreciate, or we appreciate them, them. <laughs> um, but never monetarily. No, no, never. Um, <laughs> well, and, and you know, I, I consider myself even though I, I get to do this kind of quote unquote for a living um, that I, I get to dig into this, I'm not an expert because I, I'm good enough to be able to use the tools to vet other people's work. We're an, we're an aggregator. We are. We, we're yes. basically, we are taking the, I mean, you are taking <laughs> the, the, the best of other people's work that you can find and putting it together in a way that makes sense. It's it's not original information to us. Exactly. And if when it is original, then I want to try to point that out so you can go, mm, well, that's Emily. And yeah. you can dismiss yeah, that's, it. Yeah, that's yeah, just hypothesizing. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. So but this the people who do this, I mean, they they work on this at a level intensity that I just don't have the discipline for. And that's what I get to do. I get to go back and look at their stuff. And there's sometimes I can look at people's use of the Greek and Hebrew and go, hey, they're way off. Mm-hmm. That that's what I know how to do. I can look at other people's use of the Hebrew and Greek and go, yeah, that's accurate. I can trust them because mm-hmm. they represented the data accurately. So uh, anyway, back to Pierre. Um, when he's looking at this passage, Judges five, uh, verses one. What what does this mean? Is it the long hair or is it leaders? Is it the princes? He cites. It's called the report. Of Wenanmum. Okay, sorry. It's Hebrew. It's Egyptian. <laughs> and it's so weird. Uh, it's, uh, try that again. What is it? Report of Wenanmum. Uh, I can't even read my whole it's like trying to say an I know, it is. 
Weenaman. Weenaman. There we go. We got to get the syllables in the right order. Yep. Okay. So for anybody who's ever been called on to read the Bible at, in Sunday school and you felt like a total idiot, just know I totally butchered that. And this is going to go around the world. And so don't be, feel alone. Uh, that's me by the way i feel like an idiot when i try to read out loud oh yeah i don't read aloud well uh if anybody who's watched this and this is her own notes yeah this is my own notes i should have like done phonetic markers and probably confused me even more but yeah we should probably move on yeah so anyway i just wanted people to realize hey we all do it uh so anyway in this report it's an egyptian story um it's from around the time of judges and it describes this journey of an egyptian priest He's traveling up the coast of Canaan okay. and he's supposed to buy lumber from the Phoenicians. And again, we have this word in there, para, and in the story, it means hero or champion. So he, he sees that as a connection, why we should look at hero and champion to be the word here in Judges. He also cites there's a seal that was found in one of the digs uh, in Beirut, uh, near Beirut, uh, Beirut, sorry. In Beirut, evidently I can't talk at all now. Well, but <laughs> well you're, you're using words from every language, the yeah. pronunciations. <laughs> well, yeah, everyone puts a different emphasis on the different syllable. <laughs> and, but the, the, um, the seal is to the hero. It, it's la para, to the hero. And um, so if we read this as an Egyptian cognate, and even in the Ugaritic um, is dealing with the Egyptians, then we have a translation that fits not only Judges 5, it also fits Deuteronomy 32, 42. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, because now we have, that um, would be translated like this from Deuteronomy, from the heads of the heroes. The, the, the arrow is going to be drunk with blood from the heads of the heroes. Now, that makes a lot of sense in English. We can, we can follow mm-hmm. that. Um, because of the way it's used in Judges, it's when the heroine calls for heroism. Okay. So now we're focused back on Deborah's role and the fact that she was the one who kicked off this movement to, to lead the people into battle. Hmm. And again, we've got some good, good minds supporting that. But the question really comes down to, are you looking at Arabic, an Arabic cognate or are you looking at an Egyptian cognate? And... Those are the kinds of things that scholars wrestle with. Mm -hmm. And by the way, most translations are not done by one person sitting in a dark closet. There's committees, there's debates, there's discussion. Uh, I think the fact that ESV, the way they they translate it, there's ESV is very, well, it's not always the most. Literal? No, it is very literal. They're not the kindest to women. Okay. There is a bias against women in the ESV. So they... So they, they lean more uh, complementarian is what you're saying in the way they translate. Yes. Yes. So um, you, you kind of need to take that into consideration. Yeah, you're, and you're trying to be really nice about I it. I am. Can you tell? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean in, in the ESV, for the most part, is a great translation. It's the one I go to. Yeah. It's the one I use the most, most of the time because it is so literal. So... The to not have a translation that really highlights the role of Deborah really isn't that surprising given the the academic climate mm-hmm. up until this point. And you have a really hard time um, 
getting translators sometimes to embrace new translations because mm-hmm. people, I mean, if you mess with some of those iconic verses, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth instead of when God began to create the heavens and the earth, mm-hmm. you're going to have a riot on your hands. Right, right. So, you know, some of that's our fault as consumers. Some of that is uh, companies wanting to make money. Some of that's just. Well, yeah. Well, it takes a lot of money to put together a Bible translation. Mm-hmm. I mean, and years. It, it, yeah. A lot of a lot of money and a lot of time. And so, yeah, you do have publishing houses having to go. You know, we're not we don't want to take a loss on this because we want to be able to continue to print books. Yeah. And so so I think we need to kind of pay attention to that and understand there is some wiggle room uh, in the translations because it's not you can't just do an exact substitution. It's not a code. Right. You, you know, A doesn't equal Z or any of that. It, the languages are fluid. They, there's a lot of gray mm-hmm. space. And it's hard uh, if you've ever done any translation work trying to find the exact word in English to, to put in there for another word and not have to spend three pages trying to explain what that one single word means, because sometimes mm-hmm. you can do that, as I've kind of demonstrated. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, because, I mean, we're, we're on verse 2. 2A. Two <laughs> well, yeah, we're on verse 2A, and, and we're at... But we're running close to half an hour already. <laughs> already, okay. And um, well, and, and no, I mean, I'm not complaining. I th- I think there's a lot of great, <laughs> great information. Like I'm, I'm enjoying this. But, well, and and that's I wanted to use this because it is such a great illustration of the translation process and the things that people go through. Um, no, we're not going to break down no. the translation issues with every single Absolutely. verse. No, there's <laughs> so. there's like one other spot that is important, and we're going to see why. That is a really important distinction. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes I think it's good to do a single verse in a passage we're studying to show you how deep you can go. Because mm-hmm. I didn't go all the way to the bottom of this rabbit hole either, just so you know. As if anyone has. <laughs> right? So um, if, you, if you translate that when the heroine calls for heroism in the land, and then you go into the second line, the people offered themselves willingly. Now, this kind of, like I said, it refocuses the role of, uh, of Deborah, but it also refocuses how we're to read the text, because Judges is a prophetic book. Now, when the heroine called for heroism, the people followed the call kind of idea? Yeah, they were, they were willing to respond to her as a woman. Mm-hmm. She's not having to coerce them. They're, they're being, you know, they're, they're doing it out of the goodness of their heart. And this kind of also decimates that argument that Deborah was teaching privately in a secluded area and as such was respectful. She, she's making a call to the nation, not just to Barack, but to the, to the nation to respond. Right. And we need to remember that she, she's not some lesser being or some lesser prophet than any other prophet that went before. You have an encounter with God that elevates you, mm-hmm. period. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, and, and as we go forward with this, we need to sometimes forget that Deborah was a woman and just view her in the role of judge and prophet. And, and we need to do that with the supernatural in mind because the rest of the song, as she goes forward, what she's going to be doing is she's going to be revealing the supernatural aspects of what's happening. 
Mm-hmm. We already know what happened in the battle. We've got the facts in chapter four. We don't need that repeated. Right. But we don't know what the spiritual reality behind it was going, uh, what, what, what was behind it was going on. And so she's going to pull this back and allow us to see kind of behind the scenes. And, you know, and I was really disappointed with the theologians who have not, not picked that up mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because as a prophetic word, you do have a lot of theology in here. So, well, and I, I, I kind of, it, it's like squabbling over who the best seat at the table, right? Instead of actually just sitting down and eating the food, right? Being okay with the fact that you're being fed, yeah. And and that's where I think the egalitarian, uh, complementarian, like we've already mentioned, that argument has has just taken us away from. It, from the theology that's involved here. It has. And, you know, okay, now I'm, I wasn't surprised when I saw complementarians just kind of, you know, glide past it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I get that. I mean, it, it opens some cans of worms that they may not want to deal with. And that was to be expected. Um, when I saw the egalitarian side pick this up and focus solely on the, the, the gender issues and say, hey, look at us. We're great theologians. We know how to exegete properly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to talk about this. I would have been happier with them if they would have said, hey, yes, we, we do know how to do good exegesis. We know how to interpret um, scripture properly. Watch us treat this passage with honor mm-hmm. and watch us actually deal with the text and not just our own bias and agenda. Again, probably somebody out there who's done it, not a whole lot of people. Right. And if you're going to show that you have chops as a, a good interpreter, a good translator, then show me you know how to deal with the material at hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so I, I would have found them to be a lot more credible if they would have actually dealt with the, what was in the text. Right, exactly, so, exactly. Again, uh, yeah, arguing over the seat <laughs> at the table instead of just sitting down and enjoying dinner. Yeah, so, you know, th- this is my pet peeve I, because the text is fascinating. So, okay, moving on, and we're, we're now in verse 3. Um, Deborah makes this, this call, hero kings. She's addressing kings. Give ear, O princess. She's talking to royalty. This is what prophets do. Matter of fact, uh, there's some arguments that real prophecy, as far as formalized prophecy, did not come into being until the monarchy was established because the role of the, the formal role of the prophet uh, really takes off with Saul mm-hmm. and with David. And basically to continue that argument is that when the monarchy dissolved then the prophetic office was dissolved. Um, I don't agree with it, but I see why they get it. Sure. And so she's very much in line with what we would expect a prophet to do, to, to speak to kings and princes. But there's no kings and princes of Israel at this point. Right. So she's actually calling on the Canaanite kings. Mm-hmm. She's calling on the kings around them and saying, hey, you need to listen up. Um, that's the very least. She may actually be calling on the spiritual powers behind the kings. Mm-hmm. And because we, when we have this language of nobility in the Bible, a lot of times it's not really dealing with the person. It, it's dealing with that spiritual force that they represent. And we're going to flesh that out as we continue. Fair enough. So. Uh, real quick, I, I know so we wouldn't go a lot into translation details. <laughs> That's okay. But um, verse 3b, that this is, I'm calling attention to this because we can translate this to the Lord I will sing. Um, 
there's an argument here. And again, it's picked up by McDaniel. Is it, I will sing, and she's singing this before the battle to describe what's going on very much as a prophetic word before all of this happens? Or is this being sung after the battle? There's some debate there. I I tend to lean with (laughs) after the battle just because that's what we have with the Red Sea. Sure. And we also kind of have it in that order in the text. We have it that order in the text, but which which came first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But if you read it as before, she um, she's actually saying, I will attack and I will fight, not I will sing. And um, I'm not going to get into all the cognates and um, there's a possibility of a scribal error in here. but. McDaniel claims that some of the the stuff in the narrative passage should be in the song and some of the stuff in the song actually should be in the narrative passage. He thinks that there was some kind of mix up with the way it was written. Okay, maybe it's an old it's it's old. Yeah, who knows. I mean, we're yeah. Well, it's old and it was it was likely oral tradition for years before it was exactly put down. Exactly. And if it's if it was written before and it is a call to to battle which we have other ancient documents that are calls to battle, then the, it's very much the language is, it's proper mm-hmm. for, the, um, for it to be, I will fight, I will attack. And now we're looking at it as a song afterwards, now we're looking at a hymn, mm-hmm. and the language changes a little bit. So I will sing makes sense. Yeah, and I want to throw this out here too, um, because you know how Christians love to over-spiritualize everything mm-hmm. that, that sounds churchy. Mm-hmm. The word hymn, this is, <laughs> I'm going off on one of my little pet peeves. Go right ahead. The word hymn is, is not, it doesn't originate with the church. It doesn't originate with a hymnal. It's, but, but that's all I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, that, and that's the thing, like a lot of people don't realize this, a hymn was, was, it was a song, kind of an ode to someone's works. It was like a, the story of someone in song. Right. Uh, and so in um, in Greek, you would have like the hymns of, of Heracles, you'd have hymns of Zeus, hymns of uh, of all the gods and goddesses. You would have hymns of, of their heroes. You know, it was it was a common word and it was a specific style of song. Like we would have the ballad or the ode ode to or the ballad of these different characters and they were actually written before a lot of the stuff we have recorded in the bible Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. we again we did not they did not originate with us yeah so this is the the word hymn is something that was adopted uh and then we've taken it and we and it wasn't even like hyper spiritualized by the church even until you know years after the bible was written like centuries after the bible was written but in in english we think of hymns as something that is specific to what only the church does it. Well, and, and, we, and also Psalms too. Psalms. Um, the word canon. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in Hebrew, not in Hebrew, in Greek, uh, you would have a canon, which was a list of books that you needed to read in order to be well educated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that anyone could have a canon and they could explain that what their canon was. And, you know, mm-hmm. if you were a mm-hmm. teacher, then you, all of your students were expected to read that. It didn't refer to the Bible. Now we talk about the canon. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the Bible. Right. And so we, we well, unless you're unless you're a real big nerd and you want to talk about <laughs> what actually fits within your fandom's uh, canonical 
material right what's, what's what can just be counted as like fan fiction or alternate universe or but that you know that's still used a little bit uh mm-hmm. especially in the comic book realm and video games and you know to, I, I think it's kind of yeah it's, I it's think a it's little more a nerddom a <laughs> uh but but no uh so yeah psalm and, and a psalm is just a poem set to music right uh, that doesn't necessarily have to have a heroic theme so that's i just want to throw those things out there so that we can understand that this is not like and yeah she's not sitting around with a hymnal (laughs) i didn't even have that image in my head until now thanks um the uh no it says right here we're to him 435 well and the thing is how you read you know what genre does this fall in you know it's the difference between um, are we reading the onion or are we reading the New York times? So the way they use words are different. Um, are we reading an actual news report or are we listening to a song? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, uh, this is a great line. Uh, all the paper papers say the Ma Teresa lo- uh, left her jobs happy with Ma, Ma Teresa's joined the mob mom, is happy, happy with, with her full-time job. Yeah. Yeah. The and, primitive radio gods uh, standing outside a telephone booth with change in my pocket is the name of the song. And, um, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> it, 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 the words mean something different in the song than they would if we saw them in a newspaper. Yeah. And, and so we've got to keep that in mind. So if she, McDaniel is correct, and this is a call to battle, mm-hmm. now we're changing the entire meaning of the song as we know it and i kind of get where he's coming from i can't say i can go completely there i think he brings up some interesting points i do like that first line so much better because it does answer the problem we have with deuteronomy 32 42 Mm -hmm. and when you have words when you have a solution for a word you want it to fit in both both places or every place it's used actually and um but I wanted to just acknowledge this is out there because one of the reasons why we tend to go, oh, well, it's afterwards is because of our own bias, this idea that women didn't go into battle. Okay. And I, this is something I think the church has really propagated with the idea of Deborah. Oh, women didn't go into battle. This is unseemly and it's improper. Um, no, I, I did some research this week and I believe the name is Tamiris. Uh, defeated Cyrus the Great and she was a woman and she had his body found beheaded and then stuffed it in a wine bag full of blood. Mm-hmm. Now Cyrus the Great was a pretty big deal and here he is defeated by a woman. Right. So uh, Alexander the Great's sister used to go into battle with him and was highly feared. Huh. Uh, we, and, then, and that's just two. I mean, I could, there was list and list and list, but I wanted to go with some names we recognized. And then, of course, we have all these women warriors who were um, buried with with their armor and their their weapons. And, mm-hmm. you know, now that we know how to tell the difference between a male skeleton and a female skeleton, and we aren't just going by what they have with them. Right. Where before, oh, well, she has, you know, a needle and a thimble, so it's got to be a woman. And he has a sword and a shield, so it's got to be a man. Yeah. Now we can go, wait a minute, there's something else going on here. And no, no, I hadn't, I hadn't considered that, uh, but that makes a lot of sense. It's, it, and these are the things that, that when we realize we come from a totally different place of being able to observe what's going on in the Bible, as far as archeology span and uh, the translation work and the inscriptions and things, mm-hmm. we have information 
that was not available in the 1800s or the 1700s. Yeah. And, and it, it is amazing, like how the advancements really do help. And it's like, and it's weird because we're getting farther away, mm-hmm. but we know more. Right. Like it, 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 that just blows my mind. And I think it's, it's fabulous because I think it shows how we are taking this history seriously. And, um, but even if McDaniel isn't completely on target with this, what this does, it illustrates the idea of music and warfare being interconnected. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just a few places in the Bible uh, where this happens, fall of Jericho. I mean, we, we know that one. That's Joshua 6. Yeah. Saul and the evil spirit, when, he, when God sent it to torment him, and you know, he couldn't be a king and lead his armies. Right. And David gets sent. So that's first Samuel. Um, and then David and the, the women after he fights Goliath. Yes. Which uh, the Yama Ensemble has a fantastic rendition of that. You can find it on YouTube. That will be in the show notes. I love that one. We so. need to do that. I hadn't thought about that one. Uh, King Jehoshaphat, uh, where he sends the, the band out first. And if you grew up on uh, Gospel Bill show, you know that one, <laughs> that story. Uh, the Levites, they're musicians and warriors. Mm-hmm. As, a, as a class, this is who they are. I mean, they guard the, the temple. They are not just in there, you know, performing these holy rites as we tend to think of them as very somber, kind of symbolic. Mm-hmm. They... They have swords. They're they're willing to strike down whoever is going to desecrate the temple. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but they they write the psalms, and a lot of the psalms that we know are are um, were written by them as attributed to them in in the Book of Psalms. The entire Book of Psalms. How many times <laughs> is there warfare described in the Book of Psalms? Yeah. No, I, I think I think that kind of gets the yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's a good good smattering of, of yeah. It's of all ideas. It's all over. And um, it, and it's important, and I, that we we recognize that warfare and music is connected because it reminds us that warfare was not just about battling two two individuals or mm-hmm. two armies. It it really is about this cosmic spiritual side of things. Right. And so, um, you know, if I keep repeating that this is a prophetic book and it's talking about the supernatural, it's because I really want people to get that, and we're going to get there. But Deborah's very artfully using her words to 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 hint at the direction we're going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's amazing. So, um, moving on, <laughs> <laughs> verses four and five. Um, this is a statement that echoes in another passage in the Bible, and then we're going to look at those. And it says, "The Lord went out from Seir." When you march from the region of Edom, the earth trembled, the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. Mm-hmm. So the important terms there are seer, Edom, earth trembling, the heavens dropped, the mountains quake, and Sinai. Those are the, the main things we want to look at because, again, disputed passage. We're dealing with that old an old passage, we're dealing with poetry. Mm-hmm. The first way to read it is the Jewish interpretation. And the Jewish interpretation is that Deborah is looking back and calling the people to remember what God did in the past at Sinai. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second way to read this is as a description of the battle, as we had already talked about. Now, remember, chapters 14 didn't give us any description of the battle. We know God you know, rooted everyone out before uh, Barak, and that was the end of it. 
But the language is repeated in uh, Psalms 18, 7 through 15, Psalms 68, 7 through 10, 77, 16 through 20, 97, 1 through 5. They're all remembering Exodus. Mm -hmm. But then you also have the same language, the same terms in Amos 9, verses 5 and 6, Habakkuk 3, Zechariah 14, 1 through 5. We'll put these in the show notes if you want to go back and look them up. Right. But um, these all look forward to the day of the Lord. So you have this interplay between what happened in Sinai when the people were delivered from, uh, from Egypt. Mm -hmm. And then you have this looking forward to when God delivers the entire earth from oppression. Mm -hmm. And it's always the same, the same language. Um, Seir is a, a mountainous region. It's inhabited by the Edomites. Uh, Deuteronomy specifically tells us that this is the land that was allotted to Esau. That's Deuteronomy 2, 8 through 12. Mm -hmm. um, this is the area where you're going to find Petra, for anybody who knows what Petra was, which one day I'm going to get there. Canaanites lived there. Uh, now, one of the fun verses that's also, and this is just a real quick aside, because it, I think it's one of those little winks in the, in the text. It's like, it doesn't really mean a whole lot. It's just, are you paying attention kind of thing? And in Deuteronomy 1, uh, the, the children of Israel had fought the Amorites and uh, they had lost. Mm -hmm. And verses 44 says, the Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do and beat you down in Seir as far as Hormah. Now, the... Okay. The <laughs> we have this mention of seer, but they're chasing them like bees. Okay. Deborah means bee. Okay. So I, I it was kind of like this little connection that may not mean a whole lot, but it's fun to think that when we're talking about the region of seer, we do have this connection to to bees. So don't want to make too much out of it, but these these areas are very important when we talk about warfare in particular for the Holy Land. Right. So when we... Now, now does this have anything to do, because I know that, uh, you know, we've been, I've been listening to Heiser uh, talk about Exodus, mm -hmm. and there is that tradition of what what's called the, the March from the South. Um, you, you're on it. Is, is that what she's <laughs> referencing? Is that, like you said, the, the Sinai stuff, and then she's not just talking about this battle, she's talking about God moving Israel into the promised land. Right, right. Well, Deuteronomy 33, 2, the Lord came from Sinai, dawned from Seir upon us, shone down forth from Mount Paran. He came down from 10,000s of his holy ones with flaming fire in his right hand. Well, and one of the things that I think this suggests is that maybe Deborah might have known her, uh, her, history? her history and might know a little bit of the Torah. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes. Well, and... Um, that the, the, what you're bringing up is very much a part of it because we're talking from the March of the South. Now, who's the Lord in this area? It's Baal Zephon, Baal of the North. Okay. So this is very much the God that's fighting here is not your God. It's, it's not the God of Canaan. This is the God who's coming in and invading mm -hmm. your land. Uh, she's setting this up so that you know the God who's, who's getting ready to take or has taken action on behalf of the Israelites is distinct from anything that's there. Mm -hmm. And to set it up this way, to, to call the people 
to remembrance is fabulous and it, it has a lot of power, but there's even more to it than that because, um, well, let's just look at Habakkuk 3 right quick. Habakkuk 3 verses 3 and 4. He came down from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. The splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like light, rays flashed from his hand, and there, there he veiled his power. Now, Holy Ones was mentioned in both of those mm-hmm. passages. Uh, the Septuagint, which we've discussed what that is before, translates this as angels. Mm-hmm. And um, Psalms 89, 5, and 7, the Holy Ones are used to describe the divine counsel, and they're, they're warriors on behalf of God. Okay. and the appearance of God on earth to demonstrate power um, in war, uh, the, the light and the fire flaming from his right hand to Deuteronomy, rays flashing from his hand in Habakkuk. What's Barak's name? There's, a, again, that connection. Barak is lightning. lightning. Yeah. Uh, Deborah, if she was a fiery woman or the woman of the torches, again, we have this. Okay, yeah. So This connection to fire and lightning and that they are actually... Uh, representatives of God's glory on earth. Exactly. And, mean, he, <laughs> and it's here in this battle that it, it, it's happening. And is it just a, when they come out of Egypt? Um, and the, the connections continue to build because right after this, Deborah's going to go into this list of the tribes. Well, you know, Moses addresses each of the tribes in Deuteronomy 33. Mm-hmm. And of course, in Genesis 49, too, Jacob addresses each of the, the, the tribes. So the placement's revealing that you're supposed to be remembering, but you're also supposed to be looking forward as God acts in the present. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be important when we get to Gideon, because Gideon is very much his first encounter with God. Well, where is God? Well, he hasn't shown up. Yeah, and, and not to get too much on the, on the egalitarian train. I know that, <laughs> that I know, but... When you have her giving this blessing where she lists all the tribes, it's very much like uh, it's echo. Like you said, it's echoing that, but it's she's taking on what would consist would would uh, be a father's be, role. Yeah. Be a, yeah. Considered to be a patriarchal role mm-hmm. yeah, in in this. And so basically you have God saying. I don't care. Yeah. Who <laughs> blesses right my thing. people if, if you're following the law and. And and being a blessing, I will honor you. You know, it's, it, yeah. it's that's what I'm seeing here. Oh, definitely, definitely, and and that's the thing. Deborah in, in inhabiting this role, she she's saying I have a right to, and she's going to really confirm that as we get further in, and she's going to give evidence that you need to listen to her, mm-hmm. and that God does find, have favor upon her uh, to call her to this place. Now, because we do have this positioning of before and after mm-hmm. to understand that this is describing a current event we have in verses four verse four the second part said the heavens dropped yes the clouds dripped water that didn't happen in the exodus mm-hmm. we, we don't have that going on so um but who's in charge of rain yeah back to Baal. <laughs> back back to god you know saying no your bail doesn't bail doesn't uh control the weather i do mm-hmm. well and this is where we begin to get some information about that present situation that battle of sisera what did it look like and the um you know no waters fell in the crossing of the red sea it, it just 
the waters fell upon Pharaoh, but they didn't come from the clouds. They came from the sea crashing back together. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's this idea of continuity that the, the sea waters and the rain that fell, because we're going to get further in, we're going to find out that basically the Kashan uh, River, which is normally just a little piddly stream that you can step across, it, it, a flash flood moves through and that's what wipes out Cicero's army. Okay. And where, you know, we didn't have any of this information in four, we were getting it in five, but for God to take command and control of the water. So, so are you saying that in the, in four, it says, and God routed them. Uh-huh. Are you thinking, is it suggesting that the flash flood is how God took care of them? Yes. Okay. So, and, and we've got enemy leader uh-huh. from a foreign country. We have chariots mm-hmm. and we have water overwhelming the enemy. We're right back there in Exodus. Yeah. So, and then, and then even to go even farther. So, she's not even just taking on like a patriarchal role. She's taking on a mosaic role. Very much. Very much. There are so many connections between her and Moses that it, you cannot doubt that she is, um, she's not just some woman who happened to get chosen and God couldn't do any better. She is literally, um, she's literally, fulfilling every leadership role that Moses took on. And, and I mm-hmm. think we, we forget that. Like, with, the, with the exception of just straight up giving the Torah. Right. With, he does, doesn't give the law, but as far as, you know, we've got the prophetic, we've got the general military leader aspect, we've got mm-hmm. her being the deliverer of the people, all of this stuff she, she's doing. Yeah. And so, and we talked about last week how, you know, she was on the, the hillside with her arms lifted, you know, not necessarily with her arms lifted up, but like Moses when mm-hmm. he had his arms lifted yeah. up. So she, we can't act as if she just happened to be the one who sent the summons to, to Barak. Right. Um, you know, that, that the text does not support that in any way or shape. And she's, she's very much possessing this role and and as we get into it even further she's going to make a point to make sure you understand this is who i am Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i have a right to this so um you know she's she's setting us up here at the beginning to look back at moses yeah now she doesn't know what's going to happen in the future as far as habakkuk and all of that but she is making certain that we understand god's at work here and now. Mm-hmm. And as we go through Judges, that's really the hope and the cry of the people. Can God do what he did then, today? Yeah. And this is the sign she's offering the people. Yes, just like he did this for us coming out of Egypt, mm-hmm. he's doing it for us now. I, I just, I really, it makes me wonder uh, how much importance this story had in earlier Judaism uh, versus where it is today. Because it seems with all the symbolism and everything that it might have been more important um, to the to the people. But to I, be one of the oldest parts to be preserved, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it was preserved with the Song of Moses there at the sea. So mm-hmm. Exodus fifteen, Jacob's um, blessing over his sons, Genesis forty nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to remember because there's five, and they're they're all from that same time period. And they informed the theology. This is one of the oldest um, claims of monotheism that we have in in all the world. Right. She she was the one, uh, you know, she was one of the top five to basically inform people, 
this is what it looks like when God responds to his people. Mm-hmm. And this is the reason why she goes on. She, she tells the musicians, sing this song. The musicians at the well, sing this song. Because our people need to know this information. Right. And when you consider that it was probably that, that guild of um, prophets that we talked about on the previous episode yep. that preserved it, this was a huge part of the, the theology. There's no way for it not to have been. It wouldn't have been saved and preserved this well. And I know we we're talking about translation problems, but th- it really has been preserved well. Right. Yeah. If it hadn't been important. And I, I think we overlook that. And just a real quick side note, if, if you're going to preserve the words of a woman mm-hmm. to teach, then you're saying it's okay to have women teachers. You're saying it's okay for women to, to explain spiritual truths to men, or we need to just completely cut these pages out of our Bible. Right. And, and you know, and, here, and here's my hope to anyone out there listening. What I hope is that I know we talked a lot about egalitarianism, and we're probably going to touch on it some more by the time we're done with this section. Uh, but whether you're egalitarian or not, try to, try to set those things aside and, and as we work through the theology of it. And you can agree with the other stuff on another day with another topic. <laughs> right. um, you, you can message us, we, you know, and we'll, we may respond. Um, probably will probably will but i i I just want to i want everyone to just listen to what's actually being said about the theology because i'm i'm finding it fascinating i know we barely touched on the theology part of it on this one we really just mainly talked about translation issues and the place of honor that the song has and and how it fits in the timeline but as we get more into theology because there is some really crazy stuff oh yeah in this in this passage. Oh my goodness. I'm excited about it. Y'all are, are going to be, I think by the time we get there, you're going to be so happy about it, but this was all important. It it was not wasted because this is going to help us. It it influences how we read it and we need to be reading it and recognizing this is a culture where Aksa could go to Caleb and say, give me a gift, daddy. Mm -hmm. And he, he gives her not just what she asked for. He gives her over and above. This is a culture where women, uh, it's not surprising that a woman would go into to battle. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to take off some of our, our ideas about women in the Bible and, and just deal with what is in the text mm-hmm. so that we can embrace the text more fully. Because that's how you honor the text, by yep. embracing it for what it says. So Absolutely. Anyway, well, I'll yeah. quit preaching. No, I, no I, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, no, you're, you're doing fine. I, I think, but I think, I think that's a good setup mm-hmm. for for where we're going. Um, I, I did not expect to spend that long on <laughs> what four verses, yeah, right. um, but it's well worth the investment <laughs> because that does give us a really solid foundation. To, it's going to move faster to, from here. Yeah, no. I, yeah. And again, I'm not complaining. I think I, I had a great time. I thought it was all interesting, but that, yeah, it gives us a great solid foundation to move forward next time. So, um, but yeah, th- thanks everyone for, for joining us. Um, next week we'll get deeper into what, to what the text actually says well i mean we were talking about that but let's we'll we'll get into some less speculation some less yeah some less speculation less less craziness um i won't geek out on the grammar (laughs) fair enough well even even that was you know i think we did a good job so uh but yes thanks for joining us if you want to be part of the conversation hit us up on ravencreeksc.com or uh ravencreeksc on social media you can find us there um if you go to the website, you can find, again, show notes, companion pieces, um, 
just just different stuff other that's podcast. out there. Other podcast, um, we you know, commentarians and uh, changed my mind uh, with Luke T. Harrington and commentarians uh, with commentarians Joe with Joe Zaragoza. Um, so yeah, be sure to go check those out. It's going to be a lot of fun. It has been a lot of fun mm-hmm. and will hopefully continue to be. <laughs> uh, depends on how much coffee we have. So, <laughs> speaking of which, in the meantime, uh, we'll see you there and have a great week. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.